0: Yo. Everything getting ready in the bass drop. So the bus do be get. Hey, what is up casting the spotlight fans? How are you all doing? Um This is actually a new segment, I've never done anything like this, we've never done anything like this on our channel, but we're hoping with the revamping of Casting the Spotlight to also maybe kind of provide newer, different content too, you know, a couple different things. And one of my ideas was potentially a book review segment. Um, I love to read, I love to write, and I figured why not, you know, this, this could... This could be a good way to also reach different people and hopefully expand my audience. Um, I'm mostly going to be reviewing my favorites, uh, books that I just finished, Um, classics. Obviously, when I review the book, I'll talk about the plot, but I'll also kind of give an overview of the story. So there will be spoilers to each of the books that I review, but that's kind of a given. But also if you if any of the fans, this is a way to kind of reach out to us if you guys have any recommendations for things you might like me to read, uh, give a review on, kind of talk about with you all uh, just you know hit us up on the casting the Spotlight page, message me directly or whatever and we can potentially get around to that. yeah like I said, I have my first few uh, reviews already sort of lined up but I'm hoping to keep this going for a little bit, hopefully it catches on, you guys kinda like it, and we can go from there, you know? But first, week one, yeah, my very first book review is gonna be Less Than Zero by Brett Easton Ellis, one of my favorite writers, great book, this was actually his first novel ever published in uh, 1985, he was 21 years old when he published this actually, which is which is pretty crazy, that's crazy young and impressive, you know, to publish a novel. Um, he was actually part of the literary brat pack, which if you don't really know uh, literature, you're not going to know what that is, but it was actually this group of young writers that all emerged on the scene around the same time, like in the New York uh, Manhattan area, and. They were, you know, um, early to mid-twenties, a lot of them, and... It was just a new kind of fiction writer. They hadn't seen anybody like them before. They stayed out late, you know. They partied in nightclubs. They drank a lot. They were caught by paparazzi and stuff. Like, they were... They almost turned writing into, like, stardom. It was a different kind of... uh, It was a different kind of thing, for sure. But the... Book Less Than Zero. His first novel, it was set in the time that it was written, in the mid 80s, and it follows uh, the main character, Clay, which is an 18 year old boy, comes home for his first visit from college. It's Christmas break. He comes back to his Los Angeles home, uh, tries to kind of reconnect, rekindle relationships with his friends his ex-girlfriend just you know tries to live a somewhat normal life like he used to in high school coming back but he's he's having a hard time fitting in in a lot of aspects with a lot of people it's uh it's really weird because it's almost like brett easton ellis wrote uh loss and like this is almost like a dystopian novel without being a dystopian novel because Los Angeles, it's all real things. But Los Angeles is so different from the way the rest of the world looks at things. You know what I mean? The the town that he wrote in this book, the Los Angeles that he wrote in this book is just so nihilistic and materialistic and just gross. And he did that purposely because that's not the way that the world really is supposed to be or is. So he... He's a great author in that in that facet is the fact that he makes these almost otherworldly uh, places see these just seedy, gross, real things, and he kind of takes his own spin and makes it a fiction. Like everyone in this novel, all the young kids, you can just tell that they're just they experienced. Way too much at a young age, and now they're just... They're not human, almost anymore. Like, all the kids are... They experience sex, drugs, excessive money, just... They experience life excess at a young age that it just fucked them up. They're not people. <laughs> they're just... They're just greed bags, you know? And... um. It's. I'm sorry. I'm looking up the synopsis, making sure I don't forget anything for you guys. But yeah, it's. Everybody's just dining at the nicest places. Everybody's driving the nicest cars. Everybody's snorting mounds of cocaine. Everybody's. Everybody's bleach blonde. Everybody's really tan. Nobody is their own individual anymore. It's kind of the point of the novel everybody's kind of the same they look the same they do the same things and throughout it you can kind of just see things creep in worse and worse of a direction you know what i mean like things start out to where they're kind of like uh this is this is not uh this isn't right but by the end it's just some of the things that happen in the book, you're just like, goodness. That's... <laughs> he has multiple characters he introduces throughout the book. Blair, his ex-girlfriend. Uh, Trent and Julian, who were his former best friends. Uh, Rip, who was his cocaine dealer. Um, and yeah, they each have their own part, their own segment within the story. It's just like they show uh Julian like for example we'll start with him Julian he he keeps having flashbacks when Julian was a kid and they would kick they'd be kicking the soccer ball around just living life like little kids he would constantly in this book has flashbacks to having good times with his friends whenever they were young or Having just hanging out with his grandparents as a little kid, and you can just kind of feel the innocence still, you know? But in the modern world that he's living in is this 18-year-old, bleach-blonde, tanned, coaxed Norton dopehead. Like, he just doesn't... He does, His innocence is gone. It's been wiped. He's not there anymore. And his best friend Julian, or his former best friend, because he... He can't really rekindle that relationship when he comes back. Like, Julian's just so far gone. They can't have a good conversation anymore. He's He never sees him, And he talks to his friends, and they tell him that he's a, a prostitute, a male prostitute now. And he... Julian ends up, like, begging him for thousands of dollar loan. And it, you know, it basically he gives him the money but then when it's time for him to pay him back Julian has to take him to a guy that's like he has your money he'll get you his money turns out to be Julian's pimp and he kind of just digs a little deeper and he finds out that Julian turned into a male prostitute started selling his body to, to like pay off drug debts like heroin debts that he was never going to pay off so he just kept having to sell himself and kept getting fucked up on drugs. His dealer was supplying him with coke, with supplying him with heroin, not cocaine. I'm sorry, and shooting the needle into him, ah, and kind of just making sure that he stayed. You know what I mean? It's harder for him to run if you have him hooked on drugs, and that's what I mean about these kind of this kind of novel. Like he makes the characters themselves. That's a very Brad Easton Ellis thing too. He makes the characters themselves a little bit unoriginal and a little bit uh, bland in ways even. Their their conversations in this book are not they're not they don't go too deep. It's just a hey, how you doing? Uh, eh, I'm okay. Like but the story itself goes way beyond what the characters on the surface show. That's what I would say. Um he's he's just his whole time that he's back. He's going to parties that his friends are throwing and their parents glitzy humongous mansions. He's going to underground rock clubs, you know, the seamy after-dark world of Los Angeles in the 80s. Um that's, that's another thing that you can tell with this book is that it's very, very dated. I will say that. You can tell that it was written in the early 80s. The characters are constantly watching MTV uh, music videos, constantly playing like old arcade games, stuff of that style. But it's not dated in the fact that it ruins the book. It's still a really powerful message and story but he just did a very good job of letting you know the kind of era it was when he wrote the book that he did and he his, his other best friend Trent he spends a lot of time with so I had to get a drink and Trent Trent's like honestly Trent's sort of He's an asshole. He... Throughout the story, you kind of just... More and more... You want to distance from Trent. Because you can see the path Trent's going down. He... He is not humane anymore. He's not really a human. He's very much so greedy. He's just wanting to... Do drugs, get fucked up. Uh, Just anything... It's that's i don't really even know how to describe these kids because it's it's very powerful in the fact that also i figured this was a great book to review right now with all the craziness going on in hollywood as well i know that there's a lot of nutty stuff going on there and this takes place in la and hollywood a lot of these kids are kids of studio execs and directors and studio heads and all these different kinds of things Like, so they grew up in that lavish materialistic nihilistic lifestyle to where they don't see what they're doing as even being bad that's just the world everybody does it everybody snorts mounds of cocaine everybody gets (laughs) prostitutes everybody doesn't give a fuck about anybody else It's just the way that the world works out there. You care about your own personal gain, and fuck everyone else. That's basically the way that all the characters feel. I would say... um, All in all, I'm not exactly sure what you would say the turning point of the novel is, where it kind of just reaches that point and was like, wow... This is this is fucked. But I would say one of the parts definitely where you feel that is the the part that struck me so hard watch like reading the book was when I got to a scene that where uh They are, they run in, Trent and Clay run into his dealer, Rip, at a nightclub. They're hanging out with him. He's with a couple of buddies, and they eventually, they're partying for a while. He tells them, hey, you got to come back to my place. I got something you have to see. You have got to see this. So they're like, okay, whatever. So they follow him, and when they get there, he takes them into a back room, where he has this, like, 11, 12-year-old girl tied up to a bed, like, each limb tied up to the bed, and he's shooting her full of heroin and raping her. And he's telling uh, Trent and Clay, you guys, you guys gotta get in on this, like, this is, you know, this is crazy, she's... And he, like, Clay... Clay's just absolutely wordless, like baffled, like shocked, scared, just ready to get the fuck out of there. And he runs out of the room and Rip follows him out and he's like, dude, what's what's the problem? What's the big deal? Why are you acting like this? And he's like, man, she is a little kid, like what you're doing in there is not okay, man. And he's like, you're looking at me like I'm a bad guy. But I'm not a bad guy. I just take what I want in the world. If I want something, I take it. And that's just that right there is kind of like where it hits you. You're like, wow. Because that's literally his thought process. He has this... 11 year old girl that he's making a sex slave and he doesn't actually even think he's doing anything wrong and that's when you realize like these people are so far gone that they don't know and don't care anymore they just care about doing what they want to do when they want to do it and I think that that was pretty interesting because he kind of spoke on a lot of hollywood and la and the way some of those very very far gone materialistic people kind of feel and act out there and even especially with this pedal ring now being exposed he had a child sex slave in the book like it was almost like he talked about all of this you know like 35 years before it was exposed it's it's crazy I mean, everybody knew, obviously, that L.A. was probably seedy and crazy. But, I just, like, reading it even during this time, I was like, wow, this feels so fitting to be reading this kind of novel right now. Um. He... He also, um, like, just showing the party scene. Like, you can tell throughout it um, that it's just wrong. A lot of the things they're doing is just wrong. Like, one of their friends from high school, she's so far gone into heroin that she's, like, shooting up at a party and crying and her friend who was like her best friend in high school from the sounds of it is like laughing and snapping photos of her while she's like deep like far gone in a pit of heroin and she's just like taking polaroids of her kind of laughing and uh Trent throws a party at his house and he buys some snuff film of this man coming in and raping this man and this woman. And beating them to death. Like, on camera. And he... And once again, Clay runs out of the house. He can't watch it. Him and Blair, his ex, they both leave. They're like, that. what the fuck? And, you know, Trent comes outside and he's got an erection and stuff. And he's like, well, where'd you guys go? You know, like, he was he was way into it. He said the party-goers were all excited. They were all into it. They paid thousands of dollars to get their hands on the film because apparently it was, like, a black market thing. This dude, record, like, he steals people, locks them up, and then records them raping them and beating them to death. And one of Trent's buddies from college spent thousands of dollars to buy one of these films, and they show it at the party. And there's, like, multiple party-goers, like, getting off to it, like it's it's, I mean, it's so strange in the fact that it's almost just too dark to imagine but that's exactly what he was going for, I believe he, um (laughs) they just everything throughout the novel is like this. Like, they find a dead body as well, and they're all fascinated by it. Like, they're just very fascinated by things that you shouldn't like. Like, they think, like, like rape. Like, like Trent, you could tell. Trent and Rip and all of them, like, that was something that they were into. They didn't think it was wrong. Oh, well, we're not... I just want this, so I'm going to take this. That's, that's the life I live. If I want it, I take it. Because they grew up never not getting something. So now that they're in this world, that continues. Now that they're adults. That greed, that want, that spoiled, not, not knowing what's right, what's wrong, just getting what you want, they never outgrew that. They're still in that. And they'll always be in that because they have the wealth and the lifestyle to provide themselves for that. And that's the sad truth, I think, of a lot of fame excess in L.A. and around the world. Is they just forget what you're supposed to, like how you're supposed to live a normal life. What's right, what's wrong, what you're supposed to do. I mean, everybody obviously knows what's right and what's wrong. But once you get to a certain level where you feel untouchable and you feel like you can have anything you want because everybody gives you everything you want, then you kind of probably lose your sense of right and wrong because it doesn't pertain to you anymore. You know what I mean? You're, you're outside of this society's bubble of that, you feel like. It's never the case. But I think that that is sort of of what he was writing about. It was kind of to show that side of the world and that side of life that there's people out there that probably kind of think that way, you know? They think they can get everything they want and they can get away with it because they've never been showed otherwise by the world. They've never really had to work for much. And. In the end. Really not a whole lot. Honestly. If I can be honest with you. Not a whole lot gets very solved for him. Um, he kind of just has to leave. Go back to school and. Ditch out you know. I. I don't think he necessarily had the best time at home, obviously. I think he was pretty much ready to go. But that is just, I mean, wouldn't you, though? At that point, that's, that's how the book ends. The book ends with him getting back on a plane and flying back out to the East Coast and just kind of leaving LA behind him again and forgetting about everything that happened on that break and just kind of trying to get back to a somewhat normalized life and go to college and it's hard you know it's obviously it's got to be hard because that was one fucked up Christmas vacay (laughs) that is for sure (laughs) but that that is that guys Um, but yeah like I said This is just something that I wanted to try out. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how good it's going to turn out or how shitty it's going to turn out, but I wanted to give it a shot, throw it out there. Once again, that was my review of Less Than Zero by Brett Easton Ellis. I personally loved it. That is because I like Brett Easton Ellis. I like his style of writing. I like the kind of stories he does they're not for everyone i would say but the kind of books that i enjoy like the kind of books that i like to read are are typically pretty dark they're pretty they're pretty roller coastery you know they're they're either dark humor or they're just dark and i'm not saying for anybody that wants to recommend me something you can recommend me whatever you know and i'll give it a shot unless it's some really cheesy romance then i'm probably not gonna be able to get behind it but Otherwise, yeah, I'll give anything a shot, but, yeah, I just, for some reason, man, I just kind of like dark books with seedy characters. I like books with characters that you're not necessarily supposed to like, but you're captivated by, you know you know what I mean? That's that's my kind of style, but, anyways, yeah, Lesson Zero by Brett Easton Ellis, it's fantastic, I, uh... I would recommend it. Obviously, I told you a lot about the story today, but there is a whole lot of the book to learn. If you want to give it a shot, it's a pretty quick read. It's just over 200 pages. Not super small print. It'll just take a few days for you. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for giving this a shot. Um, I hope to be back soon, giving a review of another book. Like I said, if you have any recommendations for me, uh, drop it on the Casting the Spotlight page in the comments. Or uh, message me directly if you know me, if you have my information. If not, then you might want to stick to Casting the Spotlight because, you know, I'm not just going to give out my information to everybody. But I do love all of you. Thank you for supporting us once again. Uh, We hope to be providing even more different kinds of content for you soon in the coming future. This This is just a little test run here, you know? But yeah, this was the very first book review segment. We will have more material for you coming in the future, including the Casting the Spotlight normal episodes, book review segments, and potentially more, folks. Stay on the lookout for all of that. Thank you all. Love you all. Thanks for the support. Have a great day. Goodbye.